Some say that I'm the revelator of hope. Some people say that I'm out of control. Nobody know, nobody behold where from I'm coming or where I go. Come get it, get it, get it quick as you can. Come take a look at a natural man. Waste my time like a simple sand. Come take a look at what a fool I am. is Coco Robichaux's The Revelator. Now, I'm playing this for Lynn, who is, uh, to describe her as the babysitter of my children, just really doesn't cover who she is for us. She's kind of part of the family, and this is her former husband, and he, I'll tell you, yeah, Sam's raising his eyebrows because it's pretty good, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And uh, Lynn has just got so many stories, you can't believe it. Uh, Lived in Haight-Asbury, Hate Asbury at the like peak moment, and it's just it's had such an amazing life. And he, that's just like one of those things that like people don't look up at the stars. And also, if you just look at the people around you here in the valley and the people driving by you, like each one of those cars has just a life in it. You know, just an amazing life in it with amazing stories and and travails and. Always good to remember. When I lived in New York City, I used to try to remind myself because I was so impatient and angry most of the time that you're like, I'm probably walking past someone who just lost somebody. You know, I'm walking past thousands of people a day. Someone, someone I just sat with in the subway car, someone, someone just went away from their life. Because our system of transportation around here oh, God. is so <laughs> disconnected. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're all in our little bubbles, and we're yeah. just, like, zipping by each other, and you can pass your best friend, and you'd barely notice it. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the nice things about living in New York City, because... I mean, I guess New yeah. York City etiquette would tell you not to do this, but it's so much fun to stare at the people on the subway car. And yeah, just, like, I'm going to go ahead and let you know not in, to do that. all the different, like, stories. Well, but do it subtly. Um, you lived in New York. I'm surprised you're saying this. Oh, uh, well, I know. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. Don't know you do not do that. Well, you, you definitely Did avoid you eye that? contact. Yeah, um, well, then how can you stare at someone? Oh, I get it. So you got to kind of scope them out right, because there's, there's creepy, a story folks. there. This is getting creepy. Because I'm curious in their huma- <laughs> about their humanity. Well, and fair enough. Also, trying not to step over social norms. And so it's fair enough. I, I get balance. it. Now, another advertisement. I stopped eating grains about six weeks ago, and I've become about a hundred times more patient. I'm convinced <laughs> that grains have made me a really impatient pastor for like the last twenty years. Because it's because it's like a sugar thing. It's an inflammatory. I, I don't know. I am honestly yeah. like like the people the way people drive in the valley used to drive me crazy because they they don't drive aggressive enough for me actually yeah i, you I know? agree but now i'm just like okay well they're taking the corner slow no big deal you know they're not pulling up in the intersection i'll get there oh I'm the sorry. concept of letting you go drives me insane oh yeah yeah don't let me go just follow the rules we'll all be done faster we'll be that's that's it optimize opt creative destruction yes. all right now speak, speaking of creative destruction <laughs> i'm going to show you my drawing for you, and you're going to free associate on it. I'm going to ask you not to describe it, 
I'm just adding some pressure. I really want you to let your mind go. All right. Okay. In three, two, one, boom. Um. So I think what's going on uh, is what's that going on for you. What's going on for me is that um, our robot overlords are making sure that we, the monkey people, are okay, consuming good. a sufficient amount of McDonald's. Uh-huh. Um, You're doing good. And we need to continue to consume that McDonald's because it keeps us isolated in our homes. Okay. And it doesn't allow us to explore the outer reaches of space. Hey, I'm going to give you a 92 on that. that All right. excellent, I thought. Doesn't that feel good? Um, it feels worried. uncomfortable. Yeah, but you got through it. You got through your discomfort. <laughs> See, it was when way I, better than before. When I drew mine, I yeah. had a particular interpretation in mind. Uh, that's the problem. Yeah, I know. It's hard. It's really hard to free associate. You know, it's really hard to let yourself just float downstream and kind of like take things in. I was thinking on the ride over, perhaps because we live in a consumer society, um, it's so easy to get uh, offended by what stimulates someone else. You know, I, I almost feel like that's kind of where we're at. Like <laughs> it is in politics. Well, it's related to politics. You know what? I mean, I can't. I can't help what stimulates me. Right. You know, if it's heavy metal or the way a woman looks, like I can't help to be. Sti- I can like my behavior, like, but I can't help but enjoy certain aesthetic things. I feel like we're almost in an aesthetic war, as yep. well as a political war, and that we treat each other's aesthetics as offensive to. You know, if, if you have a different aesthetic, it might be offensive to me. Um, and I understand that, but, like, that's dangerous terrain, I think. I think the older people... I get, the less I care about that stuff. Is that right? Because uh, my personal identity is increasingly unimportant to me. Yeah. And so as you sort of release those types of, of identity-bound insecurities hey, listen, that we all cling to. As long as you keep taking showers, no one's going to be mad at yeah. you. You've got to um, be careful, though, because it can go that way, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it does, yes. You, you see examples of that. And I feel like those people, um, there's this guy who wears no shoes and stands in Northampton with these signs about plastics. And uh, I, I bet he's pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, sure. Hey, he's got purpose. He's got meaning. That's what keeps us going. Absolutely. So not for me to judge. And I want everyone out there to enjoy whatever pleases them. I mean, within certain legal limits. By the way, I've been called for... Well, we should debate that. Uh, Well, another time. (laughs) No, I think it's part of this, but go ahead. Oh, maybe. Uh, I've been called for grand jury duty. Grand jury duty. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh is right. You know what that means? Yes, of course. Yeah. Well, it's 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 periodic. It's once a week they're saying for huh. eighteen months. I got to figure this out because this could this could either. It would probably depend on whether they had a, a something to bring in front of yeah, you. Yeah, right? I know, I know. Is yeah. this this it's Hampshire federal. County? It's federal. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see. I'm curious. I, I reached out to my buddy Phil, who worked for the uh, a clerk for a federal judge down there, and tried to get a sense of it. He said that I would love it. And I don't doubt that. Like, I think that it would be fascinating. It would. But I just have to f- try to... I don't think you can get out of it either. Aren't it's, they... Isn't there a voir dire, though? What's that? Aren't, aren't they, don't they have a bigger pool and they're going to narrow it down? I, we'll see. Yeah, they're going to reject you. They're going to reject me? Yeah, because you teach social studies. I don't think so. No, that's who they want on the grand jury. It's not about bias. I, I don't think they can, the lawyers can reject. You can only be rejected for cause. I've looked into this. Because you're not... You're, you're talking about indictments. Yeah. Yeah, they should have a social studies person on there because you don't want the government to be able to indict anybody. Well, I don't think the government can reject me. I think they're going to be 
going to have preconceived notions about your politics and they're not, you know, they're going to think you're anti-establishment basically as a social studies teacher. Yeah, well, that's funny you should say that because I actually think most social studies teachers aren't. I don't think you are actually. No, I'm not anti-establishment. I'm absolutely not anti-establishment. And in a lot of ways, you know, I uh, tend to the institutions that have sustained us, you know. I mean, one one result of studying history is to know that uh, even if something is flawed, the absence of it can be more dangerous. One of the things that uh, I was thinking about doing this week was the fall of Rome. You know, and there's some new studies on the fall of Rome that actually really wasn't that bad, et cetera, you know. Yeah. yeah so I, I didn't do it because you got all excited just now when I mentioned it. Uh, <laughs> I, never want to, I never want my guests to be too excited if, about If the we topic. do the fall of Rome, I'm going to, like, just pour myself into my research before well, we get here. That's, so that's why, the last thing you want. That's why I didn't do it, because I thought that you would love it too much. Yeah. But it is a fascinating topic. All right. We are we're gonna we're gonna discipline ourselves now. We're having a great conversation, but we're gonna discipline ourselves back to the opioid crisis. So, like I said, that book Dreamland's great. And if I can just like describe it a little bit, what he does in that book is he talks about like seven to ten variables that happen kind of like at the same time. And one of them is black tar heroin comes up from Jalisco, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that it was so powerful is that. The people who would deliver it, they wouldn't get paid by the drugs they were selling. They got salaried. They got weekly salaries. Mm. Um, and they would come up from Mexico and they would do rounds of it. And so they had no incentive to stamp on the heroin and make it weaker because it didn't affect their paycheck at all. Mm. And so the black jar heroin was coming into the country and it wasn't being stepped on by multiple dealers. So it was actually very strong. So here's an example of a commercial interest that's – and it was delivered. It was being delivered like pizza. It was, that was an innovation that these guys had is that they would deliver it to you. Mm-hmm. But they're delivering you a very powerful form of heroin. They're not stepping on it because there's no economics. So this is an example yep. of the kind of stuff he's like – he's definitely – Huinones is going to say it's totally an everything problem. But, you know, a lot of the book takes place in Ohio suburbs that are very wealthy – Right. Well, that's you know, a wrinkle they, they pointed talk out in about this article. In the article it's that rich people die of opioid stuff as well. Yeah, and of course that makes sense because I think a lot of the one thing you need in order to get addicted to opioids, it would seem, is health insurance and a little bit of financial wherewithal. Because well, if you're medi- starting on Medicare um, or Medicaid or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, so I think a lot of people. Uh, Go into their doctors, and I think a big phenomenon, a big big aspect variable in this that they're not talking about is race, uh-huh. because when you look at where the opioid crisis is, it feels like it's it's Appalachia and Midwest and New England, and those are pretty much the whitest parts of the country. Yep. Um, and so a lot of studies have shown that doctors take reports of pain much more seriously from white people than they do from from non-white people. And so when a white person, especially somebody with like, you know, an upper class income rolls into their doctor and says, you know, my back hurts or whatever, right. like they're going to get the good stuff. Um, and I think that that could be well, a lot that's of, one of those explaining this too. Sure. Well, they weren't doing anyone any favors to be sure. I mean, the last time we had an opioid epidemic, it was urban. It's mostly urban. Right. Yeah. And it was mostly um, African-Americans and Hispanics. And so that's been an interesting aspect Because it wasn't it. starting with prescriptions. Right. I think that's the argument, is that the prescription thing, I've always been wildly suspicious of pills. Um, you know, I had root canal. I got Vicodin. I flushed it after a day. My uh, wife is getting her wisdom teeth out tomorrow. Yeah. So we'll be getting some in the house. Yeah. And it's da- so dangerous. You know, I, I 
took a Vicodin or two after my root canal. And I, and then I, the next two days later, I'm like, well, I don't need this. And the depression that set in after, this was just two days of normal doses of Vicodin. Yeah. The depression I felt was so profound, the withdrawal. Mm-hmm. After two days of Vicodin, I'm not talking Oxycontin, two days of it that I took the bottle and I flushed it. And I've gotten I've gotten stuff since for like teeth tooth removal or something like that. I don't use it. I don't I don't use them either. I just don't uh, like the way they make me feel. Yeah, well, there's that too. But obviously, a lot of people do, and so it's a real problem. Clearly, yeah. No, but I actually think let's talk about this for a second. And the the article just kind of blows by it because the article can't cover everything. But to me, perhaps the like silver bullet here might be the fact that in fact wealthy and uh, poor people, but but the, his the wrinkle on that is that also middle class people who go to college uh, have been caught in it. But let's say here's my and you're shaking your head, so maybe you want to take this. Why don't you take that where you want to go it's, with it? It's suddenly it's 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 regular people we can all relate to people like me. It's all codes for whiteness and wealth. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, I, I think what's really going on in the opioid crisis and sort of the turn away from the war on drugs is, yeah, total positive, right? Because we should be treating this as a rehabilitatory right. um, health issue, and we're, and we're starting to do that now. I think especially in the local level, there's been a lot of shifts in police departments and stuff and the way they handle these things and courts referring people to, to rehab. Yeah, we need way more of that. Um, obviously, you know, the prison system is very ineffective at most of the things it's trying to cure. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely been one of the positives out of this crisis is that, that we've started to look at things differently and it's just based on who it is, um, that's being affected by this. Yeah. But that's not where I was going to go with it. Where I was going to go with it is this. I hear what you're saying. Here's the, here's the uh, thesis. Drug use on this level of this kind is being uh, amplified because people aren't growing, that they don't find a way to grow, that, that, that they don't see a path for them to grow. Now, this is an argument where the super rich and the poor can have, have find common cause, right? Because when you're very wealthy, if you're born into great wealth and stuff like that, it can be really hard to understand, well, where, where would I go with this? You know, where am I going to go with this? Or if you're really poor, it's very hard to see a path. And my, the case I'm going to make is, is that growth is what makes us happy. And finding a path to grow on, whatever it is. I don't care if you're making bird feeders and you're just getting better at making bird feeders. I don't care if it's a spiritual practice or whatever it is. But that sense of growth <clears throat> is what's edifying gives us purpose. Which is, you know, so the closing of factories can be a part of that. Right, they can be a part of that, um, but th- and you know, being having a back injury can be part of that piece. You know what? Back injuries are really depressing. You know why they're depressing? Can't it's do what you, you want to do. Move. Yeah, it's that's you know that's be- pain aside. It's really now knock on wood. I've never had a back injury. Oh, I have a bad back, and it yeah. really brings out the stubbornness in me. Yeah, because you just like I want to do this anyways. Right, but also if you if you know if you really I've had friends who've been on their couch for three four months like that's happened to them. And yeah. I uh, I have an immense amount of compassion. I don't know if I would survive that. I become very um, depressed when I'm immobile. Like so, you yeah. know, 
there's a lack of movement there. There's a lack of growth because you used to be running every day and now you literally can't move off your couch. So this is my thesis. My thesis is, sure, availability is always an issue, but wherever there's a demand, it will be served by our consumer society. That the root cause of the crisis is lack of growth. So, well, faithful listeners of the show should probably know where I'm going to take this, which is that it's not just personal growth. It's about interhuman connection and the downfall of community. Yep. Um, I'm I'm with you. We're both tribe people. Sebastian Younger's tribe. Um, And and so I I think that, that that's a big part of it. But I would point to this not as drug use as the problem, but as drug misuse as the problem. I don't necessarily think that a little bit of heroin is the worst thing in the world. Um, if that's what somebody wants to do for their own recreational purposes, the point is that things are spiraling out of control. Well, and so, I'm going to go ahead and just officially, you're welcome to say that because that's what the show is. I, I, I don't think, agree with that. I think that this is, um, that we need to legalize this stuff. And the problem that we're looking at with overdoses is mostly a dosing control problem. And it's about fentanyl is really responsible for, like, the vast majority of these deaths, especially recently. And so yeah. what's going on is that people – well, first of all, there's a problem with heroin users who are just always craving the, the strongest stuff. But part of that is the mystery because they don't – they're not able to dose themselves because they don't but know Sam, how much heroin Sam, is in the Sam, stuff t- that they're time doing. Out, time out. Uh, <clears throat> overdoses is a problem. Living with heroin addiction is a separate problem. Yes, that's my so, point. Okay, but... I, I think the uh, latter is the concern that most people have. Over, or Sorry, the former is the concern. Overdoses are the big problem. And overdoses no, are living, not necessarily called by heroin. Living addicted to heroin is a big problem. And we see that people are. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and depart from you totally um, on this. I'm not trying to hang you out to dry. Mm-hmm. And I don't, do I don't know about legalization because, I mean, that's a certain approach. And it, would be worth, it might be worth trying. I don't think a little bit of heroin's okay. That's just my opinion. It's too dangerous, and and I think well, I these know people that are starting because they have bad backs, and they are you need a little, a little bit, bit of, of oxycodone or a little bit of heroin. It's the same thing. Yeah. And so the problem is they're starting on oxy, yeah. and people do overdose on oxy, but generally what they need is just a better. We need better ways to control people's dosing of these things. I think lots of people. My understanding is take a little bit of oxy every day for years because of their bad back, and it it works for them. Uh, and so, and so I guess they are addicted, but they're living functional I'm lives. So skeptical of this. Now, I I want to be careful too because I feel like I don't I haven't had a back problem. I haven't had been faced with that. Now, I just want to say another really big part of that Dreamland uh, book is about the original document that pharma based all of their stuff on yeah it's uh, i can't remember the two names it was a letter to the new england journal of medicine a letter not a study a paragraph long not nothing that was vetted that basically said there is no correlation between opioid prescriptions and addiction because when someone's in pain they will not likely get addicted to it because they're not seeking pleasure they're only alleviating it now this just flies in the face of millennia of understanding about drugs. It just flies right in the face of it. It's just wrong. And somehow a bunch of doctors eventually were broken down and convinced that this was okay. And we just know that the neuroreceptors around opioids is that once you get get them, mm-hmm. it requires more. And now you're living this, you could be possibly living a wretched, wretched existence. 
You know, you could have kids and be addicted to heroin or or whatever it is. I I just see this. I don't I that that door for me is not like something that you can unlatch. So no. is the solution just just restrict heroin availability. We need we need to do a better job making it illegal. Well, obviously pharma is takes a lot of blame in my opinion sure. because what they were what they did is they created a very thin rationale that this would be safe. And so this this they were able to leverage a giant medical institution to let people that's what I was saying about pills. Pills in my opinion are really dangerous because right. there's no needles. You know, you just swallow them, and your doctor gave them to you, and it's this is really bad. Yeah, and now, it, before you know it, four weeks later, you're looking around like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, I told you, I took Vicodin for two days and then stopped and fell into a dark depression, and right. that's when I flushed those pills. Thank God. Right. And that was Vicodin, not Oxycontin. So I'm going to, you know, I just disagree. But the Vicodin was probably never going to kill you. It was going to lead you into an addiction that would then lead you to seek out harder stuff, yeah, and then but this eventually is the you're on the black of market. Like going after opioid deaths, like to me, opioid deaths aren't the problem. <laughs> like to me, an opioid death is the equivalent of living with a hardcore heroin addiction. I don't, I see them as equally um, infernal. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not like a policymaker that's worried about opioid deaths. I'm my line starts way sooner. Living with uh, opioid addiction is wretched. It's a wretched existence. Yeah, so I don't want need, that to happen. We need a lot more hands in, in controlling how people are using these types of substances. But step one, I think, is legalization in that sense. Huh. So you can have, and I don't think that necessarily, you know, fentanyl certainly shouldn't be going in anybody's body. And that seems to be causing a lot of deaths. And I don't think that, in, you know, the way that people are taking heroin in the black market is a healthy way to be doing it. But... People should have the option of using these substances if they feel like it's to their benefit and other people are signing off on the fact that it's to their benefit. And you could control dosing and you could control the regularity with which they're getting well, stuff and, and this type of thing can be what managed. What are we talking about? Are we talking about pain management now? Yeah. Yeah. Is that all you're talking about? Well, yes, because well, – um, well, can, can, I can conceive that obviously there's no question – Well, no, I, I – I, uh, All right, let me just say this. There's no question – that opioids can be employed for pain management and always have been. Sure. You know, ob- obviously, if you're in an um, immense amount of unmanageable pain, then opioids are a way of doing it. And the better they're regulated, the more effective they are. So I'm going to sign off and say, okay, with that. But uh, for this pursuit of pleasure, I'm going to say, gee, that's a really, to me, I know that there's a professor recently who has advocated for this, right? And he's been put on the hot seat. I don't think he should be put on the hot seat. Like, you're you're allowed to advocate for it. You're allowed to advocate for it too. But to me, it's just like, um, I don't know what to compare it to, but it's such a powerful uh, substance. And I understand the benefits of de- deregulating stuff so that it homeostatically can find its own level. Yeah. Because that's why people are dying at least, because nobody knows what they're getting and everybody is just, just playing this this Russian roulette with the stuff that they're injecting into themselves. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it's not the problem because, I, again, I don't think opioid deaths are the problem. I think that the problem starts a lot earlier. I think living with um, a really strong heroin addiction is the problem. And well, so no, I want to You brought go, it back before that. It was about personal growth and, yes. and about community. And yeah. again, 
we're doing the end run thing again. We need to solve those problems about personal growth exactly. and about community. And then heroin could be legal and we could manage it. Well, okay. And we wouldn't have so many consequences that seem so negative. Well, that's kind of where I wanted to bring it back to is that like that's like there's pain management, you know, that that's its own thing. And then there's something else that's going on where, and I don't know what that is totally. I I don't totally understand. No, but one is causing the pain, that whatever it is, is causing the pain management to spiral out of control. Yeah. And all we're doing is treating symptoms Or kids are just taking pills. You know, it's not uh, all comes from pain management. I I really want to Well, it's true. You know, that's what we're we're hearing more and more. And that's about availability. I broke my leg playing soccer. Okay, maybe that was you, but I know for a fact that some some people were just taking pills that they didn't have back injuries. Oh, yeah, yeah teenagers yeah. for fun, college teenagers kids for, for fun. fun. Certainly, and but so, that's about availability. Yeah, sure, certainly about availability, and it's also about a, another factor I think, which is our endorphins are blown out a little bit. Like they get blown out by sugar, they get blown out by video games, they get blown out by movies. You know, yeah, myself included, and so they get blown out by alcohol. So obviously, these are gate. There are gateways before you take a pill. You know, and then you have a pill, and then your endorphins keep getting blown out. And so this is the bread and circus of our society is that's blowing out endorphins. And maybe that's where that middle patch is coming from. Not the super rich or the super poor, but the middle patch of kids who get stuck in this the swamp because they're overstimulated or whatever it is, or just mildly depressed, you know, and they're quote-unquote self-medicating. So it is really it is really uh, – it is complicated. You know, my my hope is that these underlying issues can be resolved a little bit in society. But I mean, it's such a giant mountain, right? I mean, where do you start? Is there a, is there an, and you, you're going to say no to this, but is there an agency? You talked about government regulation. Is there an agency that just deals with wellness? Uh, no, but... <laughs> like so much of our government, it's all set up to solve problems and not prevent them, right? It's... It, we're not, you know, we've got no Department of Peace. We've right. got no, right, it's all about sick care. It's not about health care. I mean, this is, there's so many examples of this type of poor thinking. Well, all right. And we are ready to leave on our own recognizance. Woohoo! Now, Sam, you know, at the end of the show, we talk about what's on our plate, whether it's just for the next seven days, the next seven months, the next seven years, the next 700 years, the next 7,000 years. What's on your plate? Uh, not much for the next 600 and okay. 6,900 years or so, but maybe. You don't know that, but okay. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the medical advances. Many lives. Well, uh-huh. it's also reincarnation. Let's oh, not forget. Yes, well, I don't think you're supposed to plan for that. Um, I guess you can't. <laughs> so, uh, so what I've got going on is I have two more weeks of break. Yeah. And so I need to use them quite fruitfully. Yeah. And I've got an inner war between getting work stuff done that I never have time to get into because I'm always just yeah. trying to plan for the next class. Oh, man. Or getting home stuff done that I also never have time to get into. Yeah. And so... Um, we'll see. Yeah, you know what? I'm like really very much in the same situation where... Um, I have a student teacher taking over my class, two of my classes, but I have to, yeah, well, I have to really prepare him. So the next three weeks is a hustle. 
And then, you know, I also want to support him, but I have just so much going on, too. One thing you learn when you have children is that it's a lot easier to do things yourself than it is to get other people to do it for you. Yeah, although I have a lot of faith in this guy. I think he's going to do a great job. So, but Hate I to know compare him to my seven-year-old. <laughs> I'll let him know. He's <laughs> going to be on the show in a little bit. Hey, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the Free Associates on WMUAMRS. We really appreciate the platform to speak, and we really appreciate your patience and our own patience and everyone's patience with all the issues that are really difficult in our times to stay open to one another, stay loose, stay soft, and free associate. We'll see you next week.